needs to sit back. The doctor should look at it as soon as possible. It is the way in which we propagate our species. Hi, and welcome to Casual Trek, a Star Trek recap and ranking podcast. I'm Charlie Etheridge Nunn, a writer and fan of W.M. Akers' RPG Comrades, where you play a resistance cell, and it goes kind of awesomely. And I am Miles Reed Lobato, a, a writer and a fan of the, finally, I can say it once again, you and me, hashtag Blake Boys, no. Blake 7. Ah. Uh. Panel Science Fiction Show Blake Seven. No Blake Boys. No. D- yes, do not have I'm making, I am making Blake Boys a thing. I am going to put it all over our Twitter. How dare you? How very hashtag, dare you? Hashtag you Blake Boys. One day I'll remember the password for Casual Trek Twitter, and then I'll stop <laughs> all of this. Okay, so uh, yes, Casual Trek is a nerd and tie podcast brought to you by them and by Bombs. I guess. Why not? Um, or Stolen Weapons. Yeah, lo- love me some Stolen Weapons. Yeah. Each episode, we watch stories from different Star Trek shows, and we rank them on a nice big list of best to worst. We both love Star Trek, but it's far from our first fandom, which makes us the ultimate objective voices on such a task. And this episode, we're having a look at those dastardly rebels, the Marquis. Ah, yes, it's, uh, it's, it's, as, um, Cisco himself says in this episode, it, it is difficult to be a saint when you're not in paradise. Oh, what a line! What oh, a that line. was... It oh. was so good, I thought it was almost cribbed from Babylon 5. <laughs> How dare you. I'd tell you to get out, but we're both online in different countries, so, uh, <laughs> yeah. Great. So, on that note, uh, before we go on, what non-Star Trek thing have you been enjoying doing since we last spoke? Well, this last week, I lived up to the credo of our show, and I went and did a Starfleet. Wow. Um, my good friend and friend of the show, Celeste, their parents are being turfed out by a bastard landlord. So, I and my lovely wife, Rihanna traveled up to their hometown to help them move a lot of boxes and furniture yesterday. I spent a good chunk of the evening having to heft a dryer up out of a basement, and I haven't done that much heavy lifting since I used to work in a hotel in Brighton. I'm surprised my spine is still working today. Wow. Excellent. That that sounds like a really nice thing to do. And yeah, as you said, Celeste, friend of the show, and fellow nerd and tie podcaster, so it sounds like a nice thing to do for them and their family. So yeah, good, good. Now, you know, you're putting actually doing a good deed as a, a non-Star Trek thing that you've enjoyed. So for anyone to do anything else, you know, say just some some shitty TV show, that's going to make him look like a cunt. Oh, you'll you'll be like the prize tool. Oh, it'd be so self-centered and so awful. Um, so, my non-Star Trek thing that I've been enjoying has been the the BBC television show Ghosts. Charlie? Yeah? You're a wanker. Yeah, fair. Okay. 
So, <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, yeah, well, that's that's right. After all of this, we're going to have to own that. Uh, you are fine. You are deserving. You are deserve, going to deserve the spot. The spamming of hashtag breaks boys that I've just set up on Twitter while you were talking. You monster! Oh my <laughs> god! How how could you? So yeah, oh, um, quite easily. So ghosts, right? It's it's about a couple who move into an in, well inherit and move into a nice crumbling old estate that is incredibly haunted by some very charming, very daft ghosts. It does have some heavy moments here and there because we're talking about a lot of dead people. Like there is a literal plague pit underneath the house, but it still manages to keep kind of daft, kind of fun. And it's another one of those shows I've had several friends recommend to me, uh, similar to how at the start of this podcast, in the long ago times, I was recommended Taskmaster for years and never got round to watching it. This I was recommended as the final series was announced, and as I was told, maybe about 90% of the cast are Taskmaster contestants. They seem to mine all of them from this show specifically. So, yeah, I finally gave it a go. It's quite nice. I'd say it's quite a lot more comfortable than lugging, uh, uh, like, washing machines and such. Anyway, on that note, shall we talk about some Star Trek? I, if we must. So, I believe we have our two-parter to begin with here. And that's our first two-parter. That's not a pilot. Yeah. Yeah, I realised, I think, fairly recently, oh god, we ought to figure out what we're doing about all these two-parters, because it's... we love doing this show, but sometimes it can be a lot, finding and watching and taking notes and things for um, for three episodes. Putting a two-parter in as if it's one of those just wouldn't fly, really, so... I, I just love how you've made watching television... A first world problem. Yeah, yeah, well, it's great, you know, I'm just seeming like a real dick this episode. Um, <laughs> that's fine, I'll play for part of Starfleet for this. Anyway, yeah, so, we're basically going to treat the two-parters like we treat for films. So we'll do a two-parter, and then we'll do a single episode. And today's two-parter is one of the many that are on Star Trek Deep Space Nine. This one is from Season 2, covering Episodes 20 and 21, titled The Marquee. It aired on the 24th of April 1994 and the 1st of May 1994. The credits... Right, the credits for Part 1. Yeah, yeah. Let's see if I can do this in one go. The credits for Part 1 are the teleplay by James Crocker, story by Rick Berman, Michael Piller, Jerry Taylor and James Crocker, directed by David Livingston. Part 2, Teleplay by Ira Stephen Bear. Story by Rick Berman, Michael Piller, Jerry Taylor, and Ira Stephen Bear. Directed by Corey Allen. Huh. So yeah, just a few people. The UK and US number one hits were the same for both these episodes. So for both of them, we have something great with the UK side of things, with Prince's Most Beautiful Girl in the World, and something Less great with R. Kelly's bump and grind. Uh, the nineties, dear God! I mean, 
Yeah, R. Kelly was a joke before all of the horrible, horrible things he did. And uh, yeah, Prince's song, it's just nice. Yeah, it's it's Prince. You can't really go wrong with Prince. You really can't, can you? So, Mars, I believe you are recapping the marquee. So, All right. I'm going to set the timer. And I want the recap to go now. Okay, a Cardassian ship is leaving DS9, and then it explodes. Uh, O'Brien and Kira go out in a runabout to try and find any kind of traces of whether there's been an explosion or sabotage. Uh, the Cardassians have been very silent, which is very surprising, given that it was one of their ships that exploded. Uh, Dax realizes that what actually it could be wasn't an explosion device, but an implosion device. Oh, no. Oh, yes. Um, meanwhile, uh, the ship has been traced back to an aerospace called the Demilitarized Zone. There is an area between the Federation and the Cardassian uh, borders where there are a bunch of colonies on both Federation side and Cardassian side, which have just kind of been left to kind of deal uh, due to a, pe- uh, a treaty hashed out between the Federations and the Cardassians, leaving Federation colonies in Cardassian space and Cardassian colonies in Federation space. Um, a old friend of Cisco's, Calvin Harris, uh, arrives, and he is the liaison with the Fed- with the colonies in the demilitarized zone for the Federation. And he talks about how the Cardassians um, have been violating the treaty by harassing Federation colon- colonies and Federation citizens. Then Goldicott turns up and accusing the the, Fed- the Federation colonies of harassing the Cardassian colonists. What is Cisco to do? Meanwhile, a very attractive Vulcan um, starts making the moves on, starts trying to get in touch with Quark, and Quark is trying to get in touch with her, but with far more salacious reasons. Um, she asks him to dinner and to do a business proposition, and during the business proposition, she asks him for for weapons. Huh. Ah. Strange. Um, meanwhile, Gul Dukat is kidnapped and is taken. Who no? Wait, no, that's later. I'm having to cover two episodes in five minutes. Uh, pray two, for me. Two and, two and a half minutes now. Yeah, oh, two and a half minutes. Bollocks. Um, Cisco and Dukat trace the person in ch- who was probably responsible for the explosion to one of these Federation colonies, and they, they go, and it doesn't go well. Um, the Federation colonies are accusing the Cardassians of attacking, and then some Cardassians come in with a confession with the guy in who was responsible for the bombing. Um, are they able? To, are, is Cisco able to talk to him himself? No, because they bring him along, except he's a corpse. He killed himself, apparently. Yeah. Things aren't going well. Um, Ducat is trying to be really nice to Cisco, and Cisco is not having any of it. Meanwhile, Ducat is basically proving himself for a good chunk of this episode to be the kind of guy, the kind of um, Nazi who, if you call him a Nazi, would go, oh, "You called me a Nazi. That makes you the real Nazi." And it's just, yeah. They go back to DS Nine, and this is when Ducat gets kidnapped. Hey. Um, 
this is kind of uh, a problem because the um now one of the big members of the Cardassian government is has been, is missing, possibly dead. Cisco, you know, Cisco finds out that he has been kidnapped by a armed group of Federation citizens who call themselves the Marquis, and they're like a a resistance slash terrorist group who are fighting on behalf of the citizens who are fighting who are fighting the Cardassian mistreatment. Bashir, Kira, and Cisco uh, track a Marquis ship to a planet where they get jumped by Marquis by members of the Marquis, and it turns out that Calvin, Cisco's one of Cisco's oldest friends, is actually a member of the Marquis. Shock, cliffhanger to oh, be continued. No. Credit sequence previously on Star Trek Deep Space Nine recap, and now the conclusion. Um, Calvin. It's just like, yeah, um, the Federation have basically left these, in order to safeguard the treaty between the Federation and the Cardassians, the Federation is basically leaving these guys to be mistreated and killed by the Cardassians because they can. Alarm! Oh. Alarm! Oh dear. Okay. Well. You, you got into part two. I got into part two. Okay. Right, go. Ready and go. Yep. Um, Calvin is just like, yeah. Um, the Federation isn't holding up to its ideals, so I'm gonna help the Marquis because it's the morally right thing to do. And Cisco's like, okay, sure, you have some valid opinions, but we're part. We're part of the system. You have to, you know, you have to do this within the system. And Cal's like, I'm gonna do this outside the system, and stuns our free heroes and promptly. Um, Scarp is it. Meanwhile, Quark has been arrested for selling weapons to the Vulcan, who turns out is actually a member of the Marquis themselves, and tells Cisco and Odo what they want to hear. They are able to track where they've hidden Ducat, and they go and rescue him, and capture a bunch of Marquis, including the Romulan, no, sorry, including the Vulcan, who's been trying to um, mind meld with Ducat to get the information they want, and Ducat's just like, harder, daddy. This is how I like it. Um, oh, you know he's into that. Oh, he's into it. Meanwhile, the Cardassian government had been like, oh yeah, uh, turns out Ducat was the one smuggling weapons to the Cardassian settlers on his own, so we're just going to leave him to die. And Cisco saves him because whatever Cardassia wants, he's going to do the opposite. Ducat gets rescued, and the Vulcan is thrown in a cell with Quark. Um, Quark tries to persuade her that the te- that their terrorist activities aren't going to bring about peace, but in fact escalate it. And showing how the Ferengi philosophy of of trade and acquisition can be used um, altruistically to achieve working peace. Trouble is, it looks like both sides don't really want peace, despite what the governments on both sides say. Um, and so they find out that the Marquis are going to attack a Cardassian weapons shipment. Most of the cast head off in a trio of runabouts to to kind of tell the Marquis, look, look, you can back down, you can de-escalate, you can surrender, and you can sort this out. If you fire and we have we if you fire, 
to protect the treaty, we'll have no choice but to fire back. Calvin and the Marquis fire, and Cisco and the others have no ch choice but to fight off the Marquis ships. The Marquis live to fight another day, and Cisco has to live with knowing that in upholding his orders, he now has to fight one of his oldest friends forever. Will any of this matter? No, because we'll never see Calvin Harris again. No, no, we will hear he dies. He 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 he, he cops it off screen. Yes. Well, that was three minutes and nine seconds. That was a Charlie length overrunning there. Well done. <clears throat> Thank you. Um. So, um, Charlie. Boss. If you were a member of uh, La Resistance, yeah. would you be a... Would you wear a beret, or would you not wear a beret? See, I have a beret somewhere here, so I'd feel like it, it's finally time to shine for the beret. Because um, the, uh, the Marquis name comes from, I believe, a World War II French resistance group. It does. It does. And it means underbrush, if I remember yeah. correctly. Um, yeah, which is a cool little factoid, because I had no idea, and I knew of the the role of Marquis with an R, and kept thinking it was a spelling mistake when I was a child, and I'd see Marquis spelt this way without it, and this makes a lot more sense, as it turns out. See, I, I was always assuming it was like a, some kind of French revolutionary um, kind mm. of thing, because it sounds, it sounds like, like a group from a Victor Hugo novel. Definitely. I I have another question for you. Okay. Are the Marquis right? Because I think how we're going to talk about this entire episode, talk about the Marquis, I I think that this is this is Star Trek at its most nineties mm. politically because there is very much this feeling, this very kind of nineties end of history neoliberal centrism. Where, even though the Marquis are justified to an extent, they're doing they're doing it in a way that goes against the established norm. So it's bad purely for that. Yes, yeah, it's something you see in more exaggerated fashions these days with things like Falcon and the Winter Soldier, where you go, actually, the flag smashers are entirely right about how all these governments left people out to dry and kind of have been pretty shit to a lot of people in need and then of course they need to you know kill a puppy or whatever because whatever it is they do no matter how justified has to actually be bad it yeah. feels like it feels like a softer version of that where in this episode more than the next one will cover it feels a little like a little patronizing almost a little parental of like, oh, you naive rubes. Oh, yeah. if only you knew our enlightened ways. And the Marquis, like, the Marquis definitely makes some valid points in this. And, yeah, an administrative shifting of some lines on a map, even if it's, I guess, a three-dimensional space map, meaning all of these farmers, you have to go now, or the Cardassians will be here as well. And, you know, we'll just let what happens happens. It feels like it 
was probably a decision made by someone so far away as to have zero perspective on on the human cost on these settlements. So I, mean, I, I don't remember if we know how many uh, how many settlements are affected by this, but it feels like it must be a bunch. Yeah, um, it's you know, you know, and you know, it, it's it definitely calls back to okay. I, we made it. We made it like twenty, ep- like twenty-two minutes into the episode, without ever, without using the term Israel and Palestine. <laughs> I'm very proud of us for that. Um, it's like this is. I once listened to a podcast, uh, uh, someone on a podcast saying that the Marquis ruins the Federation forever huh. because it essentially presents the Federation. As this, you know, Star Trek always presents the Federation as this mostly perfect utopia. Like, it has everything, but at the same time, it's willing to compromise. You know, it's, it's very much willing to let this stuff stand in the, in the name of just like presenting or preserving what is bad politics. Yeah. And I think, you know, we, you know, there's stuff like Section 31 and all like the weird kind of black ops. Uh, stuff. Yeah. I think this presents the Federation in a worse li- in a Starfleet in the Federation in a worse light because yeah. there is a sense of we we just have you know screw the hu- the cost of human lives. We have to preserve the rule of law. Yeah, it's it's a tricky one because. While people think of Starfleet as a utopia, and it's certainly post-scarcity, you know, uh, to a certain amount, post-need, and Mm. that's great, and there are a lot of enlightened principles, that doesn't stop it being a, ultimately, a large government, a large bureaucracy that is going to make these kind of bad decisions. And I'm not saying, you know, oh, we should all run off into shacks in the woods and be all crazed libertarians about everything, but you do need accountability. You do mm. need the ability to be called on your shit. And unfortunately, Starfleet is the kind of thing where the closest it has is places like Section 31, which are a lot more outward-looking in threats to things, rather than looking inwards and going, oh, maybe maybe we fucked up. Maybe we, yeah. did, a, maybe we did a shady thing. Did we look at the history of the US and go CIA and then do one of the things they did? Oh, fuck. We shouldn't do that. I I think people seem to believe that Star Trek and the Federation being a utopia means you can't tell any interesting conflicts. And I disagree. Hmm. Because I believe that the biggest conflict in in a stories about a utopian society is that every day you need to be a better and more just society than how you were yesterday. Definitely. And I definitely think from DS9 onwards, especially in shows we have like Picard, you definitely get the sense that the Federation ha- you know, tends to rest on its laurels mm. and thus lets things succumb to entropy. Yeah, well, you go, oh, yeah, don't worry, we got rid of, you know, famine, we got rid of war in, and all these things. It's like, oh, kind of, but not entirely. Yeah. Yeah, it's, so I'm going to turn the timer on myself briefly, because I'm going to talk about X-Men. 
So. What a surprise. I know. So, the current age of X-Men from the 2019 soft reboot House of X and Powers of Ten by Jonathan Hickman has been a wonderful age and you've got a community of marginalized people, mutants, who are self-actualizing, creating their own culture, their own rules and systems and everything like that. And you do, of course, get the inevitable cynical, oh, it's probably going to be bad. And a lot of folks like Wolverine go, yeah, I've seen these before and they're they always fall apart. And yeah, there's an amount of that. But at least there's still a culture and a utopia, even if it's one you need to guard and you need to make sure you do that right. Otherwise, you create people like the shitlord Hank McCoy, who is the Kissinger of comics at the moment. And that kind of, you want that utopia to happen. You need to cultivate and look after it like some kind of plant. Time is up, so I'm I'm not I could rant for a bit longer, uh, but I won't. So yeah, yeah. Um, what did you think about the story overall, and just how the various uh, character pieces worked? So, um, there's good and bad. Mm. I think the second, the second you see Calvin Hudson, you know he's he's a traitor. You know. Yeah. He is, oh, you're for BFF, you're doing all this. You are You are so betraying everyone for the marquee, my friend. And, you know, it's always a joy to see friend of the show, Goldberg Cat. And uh, we find out he has seven children. Amazing. I want to see Succession, but with Goldberg Cat now. See, my, my question is, um, he has seven children, but how, how, many, how many wives or mistresses does he have? I thought you were going to say how many are alive. Oh no, no! Because I imagine Goldicott to be like Boris Johnson, in which he has an undisclosed amount of children and undisclosed amount of partners. Oh fuck! I hadn't even thought about that. Yeah, God. Goldicott is the Goldicott is the Boris Goldicott is the Boris Johnson of Star Trek. Don't at me. No, I. Oh, that's that's <laughs> terrible. I regret calling him friend of a show now. Right. Oh. So, uh, okay. So now we have to call Goldu Cart Goldu. Uh, <laughs> oh God. But yeah, I like I like that it created some uh, multifaceted uh, sides of him. Yes, he is a bad person. Yes, he has done despicable things and will not stop doing despicable things. But there are still these little humanizing elements between sharing that he's a parent and getting sold out by the Cardassian government. Because, of course, they'll disown him in a heartbeat if it gets any accountability off their backs. I, I love how I love how every opportunity he tries to pull the we're not so different, you and I card with Cisco. And Cisco's like, fuck no, mate. Yeah, yeah, no. No. <laughs> no, we are we are different. <laughs> Fuck off. Yeah, uh, great, great stuff. Like, Cisco, I buy his conflict and what he's going through. Um, I liked Golden Cat. I wasn't as sold on Hudson. Yeah, and I, I really don't want to say it comes down to acting, but there are some points where it does really come down to the man's acting style. Mm. Like, when he's talking to, to Cisco about, like, their families, like, their friendship, I buy it. Yeah. When 
he has to deliver political techno babble. It, it kind of heads into Star Wars Episode One territory, where you you just got people like unconvincingly talking about trade routes in the in the old republic. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like techno babble is an art, really. You know, delivering convincingly that kind of techno babble, walking along a corridor discussing these things, or being in a meeting room discussing these things. It sounds incredibly dry, put like that. But I, I still kind of love it when they can sell. And, mm. um, yeah, the late Bernie Casey, alas, as you say, he's very good at the human side of it. And, yeah, just less so at the at the proper space bollocks of it. Um, the Marquis themselves are fine, but, but it feels very much like they are a generic bunch of extras with him as their voice, you know. I feel, especially in comparison to the next episode, it feels like they're being written almost as if this was inevitable yeah. and not like something they've been pushed to, but it's a, just a group of people within this colony who are looking for an excuse to start shit because they know it won't be upheld. It is that thing where I know, obviously, Cisco goes in wanting to talk them down and diffuse it that way. And while while they're a hundred percent sold on this with no no wiggle room, nothing like that, it's not done in a fashion where you go, "Oh, I can see the the inherent humanity of it. It is just nope and it's a it's a shame because you get better versions of of this sort of thing, especially in in the next episode that we cover, and it's I don't know. It just makes them feel like generic Star Trek backward farmers. I like the fact that, you know, at every single point, Kira, Kira is like, I understand what they're doing because I was there myself for 26 years. And Cisco agrees with her. God, this should have been so much more of her. her oh, story. more definitely more of a Kira. I feel like we needed more of a viewpoint from some of the other cast. Yeah. Because I definitely feel that O'Brien has a bad history with the Cardassians. Mm. And I feel like, you know, I f definitely feel from his perspective, um, I feel he would have a much more different opinion of the Marquis, especially as an Irishman, than, yeah. say, Bashir would have an opinion on the Marquis. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, God, Bashir's naive, dumb version of it would have been amazing to watch. You know, if Cisco was very much like, what are you doing, you children? Bashir would have been proper, like, old-school colonial attitude about it all. It would have been oh, glorious. Oh, no, he would either, either that, or he would have been, like, proper, like, ripping yarns schoolboy. Oh, like, Lawrence of Arabia, almost. Oh, this oh, is, God. um, this is, he would use the term Jolly Larks. Yes, 100%. And maybe, I don't know, maybe he could have, like, fallen for one of those rebels. And oh no, I've been taken in by this da Yeah. Um, we, we, needed, we needed Space Omar Sharif for this uh, Lawrence of Arabia. Do you know who comes off well in this story? Who? Quark. Yes, actually, yeah. Yeah, in my notes I've got stuff about Sakona and Quark and I completely blanked on them while we were talking there. But yes, yeah, that's such a 
an interesting story with them two. Like, I love the speech he gives her, where he breaks down, like, why peace is preferable to escalating the conflict in these purely materialist terms. And it's not presented as, you know, because usually when Ferengi politics and ideologies are presented in Star Trek, it is always presented in this, um, greed is good, but let's laugh at that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you buffoons. With your with your capitalism, but but here they he, like, they take that kind of altruistic acquisition and go here's how you here's how you can use this philosophy for a politically altruistic way. Well, in um, treachery, faith, and the Great River, you get an amount of that as well with Nog's upcycling scheme, mm. and I like that uh, the creators here for Deep Space Nine have been doing a lot of work to redeem the Ferengi in this fashion and go actually they yeah they're one note because a lot of Star Trek species start off one note but they have to have existed like they can't just do this because they would die there needs to be reason why reasons why they wouldn't just war with each other reasons why they wouldn't just acquire everything and sit on it like Smaug you know and at the same way you then have like the Vulcan terrorists mm. like you know i i really wanted to have seen how they explore that how you can have a vulcan who can logically look at the rules and laws and go this is logically wrong because joining joining a resistant a revolutionary group isn't a logical decision it's a moral decision mm. so where there's like where where does logic and morality meet in such an extreme fashion. One of the things I love about seeing that, much like we saw a, a Vulcan gang boss in Picard Season 3, is logic doesn't mean the same thing to every Vulcan. No. You know, sure, they've got whatever tenets of their their kind of faith and their, their laws and everything, but that doesn't always gel to to an individual's take on logic, and that's, that's awesome, you it's, know? It's almost as if, despite what every single person I've gone to a fight of on Twitter who have, who's used logic as the defense believes, it's almost as if logic really kind of depends on your values. Well, yes. I guess, you know, for some people, if you have no values, then logic is just whatever. But, um, but yes. So, yeah, this was fun. The only other thing I've got of, of particular note here is that there was some Mr. Fantastic shenanigans from Odo, and I don't remember oh. seeing him do that kind of thing. Before. No, it was it was nice to see. Odo's a bit of Odo uh, wants to be a bit of a thug in this one. Mm. Oh God, I mean, you know, give him an excuse. Give him an excuse. So, whereas logic and her values causes her, uh, causes the Vulcan to become a revolutionary, we must follow our own values and logic and assign this episode to the list see what i did there nice yeah so that list is a nice big list of star trek episodes and film currently going from 1 to 46 yeah we're on the path to 50 things ranked on our big list and that goes all the way from the very bottom the worst of the worst so far which is future tense from enterprise all the way up to 
I don't know. I'm going to estimate a midpoint, so I've not really looked there. Data Law, where we meet Data's awful brother in what is probably, in in my memory at least, the best episode featuring Law in it. And then all the way up to the very top two, Deep Space Nine's Emissary, the pilot episode. And I I had been so far removed from watching this. I've seen it once from the bin bag VHS tapes that I had years ago. Once when I was re-watching DS9, I don't know, half a decade ago or so. And and now. And when I was going into this, I was like, ooh, a two-parter for, for DS9. Is this going to be something to depose episode one and two? Is it going to be something that hits all of the levels of depth and complexity and nuance of an importance of emissary and no 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 frankly not for the importance of introducing the marquee it would it would probably go fairly low like not in the bad zone you know uh not in the strange new world future charlie here heading things off at the past that's enterprises strange new world singular not the lovely show but you know our, our lowest deep space nine is move along home with um the Alan Main I was, I was bracing myself. I was waiting, <laughs> waiting for that to happen. But yes, it was our Alan Moraine episode that we covered that and that's our lowest rated DS9. Even though it was a fun silly time, it was nothing like what DS9 was like. It it was a bit of a mess. Would you would you rather watch Move Along Home than than the Marquee? Oh, this has some shreds of that. Ooh, deep DS Nine. Oh. Yeah, it's trying to kind of show a bit more of a of a depth to the issues at hand. Mm. It suffers from people telling us things have happened, yeah. and we don't really get to see it ourselves. So it kind of boils down to a collection of extras um, essentially having spe- uh, speeches about stuff we'd never see mm. in rooms. Yes. And sometimes that can go down well in Star Trek. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm fine with a breakout session in a in a, a ready room or whatever, but yeah. Um, so... Like, this, this does have some nice... Um, it it has some nice like space battles for early DS9 when they're still doing the TNG thing of we're going to have a shot of a shuttle flying and then we're going to have cut to someone looking at a screen going they're doing this that shuttle is flying yep which honestly just makes me miss the fights the battle scenes in Babylon 5 oh, i knew you were going to go there with this <laughs> terrible terrible yes okay that, yeah. so personally I mean, I'd, I'd probably rather watch Alan Moraine, but I'm also aware of the importance of this episode, which probably pushes it a bit further um, than that. Okay. Um, hmm. I mean, looking up a bit, we've got Treachery, Faith in the Great River, or Jatrell as good points of comparison. Because, like, with Jatrell, again, you've got victims of atrocity, you've got um, you know, uh, difficult decisions to be made. I... <sighs> I think Jatrell is better. Yep. 
If only because I definitely think that Ethan Phillips sells oh. so much of the story where even I think even Avery Brooks suffers a bit for a good chunk of the middle. Mm. I feel like when it hits the later part when he knows that there is no turning back for Cal, that he get he gets a bit harder. Yeah, yeah, he gets a bit more fun there. I definitely think this is better than... I mean, yeah, the next DS9 down from there is Treachery Faith in the Great River with uh, the Wayunes. I think this is better, even if deficient, in Jeffrey Combs. Yeah. But, like, we then got Second Contact, which is the pilot for Lower Decks, mm. which is at but number 30. So, number 29 for Lower Decks, 30 for Treachery Faith in the Great River. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, so... Second Contact, I still feel, for me, is Lower Decks not quite having got there yet. Like, I'd I'd watch it if I was marathoning the show. Yeah. You know, it's it doesn't feel like it's got the level of importance despite being a pilot that this does. So, um, would you say this is better or worse than... A matter of honor for TNG, where Riker has a work experience with Klingons. I mean, so having gone, oh yeah, importance, all of that. Going, yeah, Riker gets into in some beef with some Klingons, and you know, has a bit of a fun time. Probably, like, probably has at least one Klingon woman's number from that. Oh yeah, you know, and yeah, I, I think even though Matter of Honor is after it's probably it's probably more fun overall you know we've got yeah. Brian Thompson being ominous uh we've got, got Starscream yes yeah you got Starscream you got your your annoying not Bolian the other guys yeah right, for, yeah him. the face mask thing yeah that yeah. guy a real piece of shit but um I no I have to agree I think this is not as good as, um... I don't think it's as good as Matter of Honor. I do think it's better than Second Contact. Sweet. So Even though a lot of milk is being gummed in that episode. Oh god, I forgot about the milk. I... We showed... Um, my wife and I showed it... Uh, showed the first episode of Lower Decks to a Trekkie friend of ours who has never actually watched Lower Decks. Oh, how did that go? Uh, they want to watch more. Oh, good! Good! I... It's that thing of I'm never sure whether people have a really good or really bad reaction if they're heavy, if they're if they're non-casual trekkies uh, with it. But yeah, that's cool. So um, yeah, that's one down and one to go. What is our second and final episode for today? Yes, our second and final episode is Star Trek: The Next Generation. It's season seven, episode twenty-four, titled "Preemptive Strike," and it aired a mere fifteen days after part two of the Marquee. It aired on the sixteenth of May, nineteen ninety-four. The teleplay was by Renee Echevarria. The story was by Naren Shankar, and it was directed by one Patrick Stewart. Hmm. 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 I think that might come into some of 
some of the quality of this as we go on. The UK and US number one hits. Uh, the UK one was Stilt Skin with Inside. I have no memory of this whatsoever. Yeah, it was it was a song. I I literally watched the last of these episodes just before running off to work, and I'm recording as I've come back, so I've not actually made the chance. I'll I'll listen to it afterwards, I guess. But yeah, very much a song. And the US one uh, is Ace of Bass, but uh, doing The Sign, a problematic band that I've got into in the past. And yeah, if you want your your youth of 90s pop ruined, uh, have a look into that. Um, Yeah. Uh, Well, okay then, I will. Ace of Bass. Okay, um... Alright, formation, blah, 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 Wiki, Wiki, Wikipedia, European success, the sign, okay, um, oh, 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 oh no, okay, oh, okay, oh, okay, alright, um, yeah, oh, oh, yeah, um, oh, an CD called, oof, was a nut, oh, 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 no, yeah, oh, oh, then, then there's the obsessed fan with the, who breaks into one of their homes with a knife. Wow. Yeah. Okay. It's um. Just gonna, just gonna close that and let's talk about yeah. Star Trek. Yeah. Let's talk about Star Trek. So, uh, I have my notes. Um, so, I I have the timer. Wow. And I would like the recap to go now. It's all right, lads. The Enterprise is on the marquee case. So, we've got Ensign Rowe. Wait, no! It's Lieutenant Rowe! And there's a special buffet for her. But she's called away to speak to Picard. And then he's called away in turn by a Cardassian distress call. I kind of hope they do these buffets for anyone that pops up. Not anyone that's, you know, a special case with the captain. Anyway, Wesley Crusher didn't get a buffet in the game. Good! Good! <laughs> <laughs> anyway... So yeah, the Cardassians are being attacked by tiny little Federation ships. It's the Marquis. The um the Enterprise drives them away after they refuse to answer hails and keep attacking them. They save the Cardassians, including Gullivec, who was just in that episode that we saw moments ago. He's pissed off about all of this, and he and Picard compare their government's frankly pathetic attempts to stop their civilians fighting each other. And yeah, that's not going great. Admiral Nechev suggests that Roe infiltrates the Marquis. Uh, after all, she's a perfect candidate. Uh, she already hates the Cardassians. She had a rough upbringing in camps and had a teacher who defected to them. So, yeah, she'll do it as well as she wants to validate Picard's faith in her. Roe Laren popping up at a pub, a kind of grimy-looking space pub. And Worf and Data, two of the most awkward public speakers on the Enterprise, show up looking for her as obviously and awkwardly as possible, only to get shut down and leave uh, when a guy covers for her. She goes, thanks him, and gets KO'd and dragged out to a nice friendly interrogation slash job interview. It goes surprisingly well, especially with a kindly old man, Macius, who evidently sees something in her. Uh, Ro gets the tour of the place, 
and familiar stories. You know, you got lines on maps changing, humans in Cardassian territory now refusing to move, and suffering at Cardassian hands. Or in my notes, Cardassian hands, who I, I guess is some guy called Hans who just likes Cardassian. Anyway. Or it could just be a Cardassian like Gull Hans. Yeah, Gull Hans. Okay. Ro and the old kindly Marquis bond a bit. There's evident kind of he reminds her of her dead dad uh, vibes going on. And um, yeah, her records have been checked. It's all good. She's got the job as a Marquis. Oh, wait. There's a news update. They need medical supplies. And Ro offers to go to the Enterprise and nick some. Macius vouches for her. And Kalita, one of the stubborn, like sullen marquee that's been judging her all through this will go along to help slash you know keep an eye on her Uh, back on the enterprise they are looking for what appears to be a damaged science ship in a patchy bit of space that's difficult to scan oh wait a second it's really ro and kalita they're they're going to infiltrate enterprise by using this bit of space and while everyone's taking ages using a particle scanner to go bit by bit through it all, they'll be able to slip in through those shields, beam away some medical supplies. Worf finds a patchy message about all of this, and Picard instructs them to, yeah, let, let them in, and let them beam the supplies, and then fire where they were to make it look like, oh dear, we've caught you, we're going to try attacking you, but we'll miss. And all of it, ah, works perfectly works like a dream kalita has gone from mutely skeptical of rose um rose nonsense to her bff one minute left okay macius is playing on her heartstrings in that kind of way that it's evidently like turning bro towards the side for marquee a bit more uh she heads to the enterprise and says hey now i've got their trust and Picard decides it's time to give them a big target, entrap them, summon all of the marquee you can to this point, and we'll we'll have them. Uh, Rose, a bit torn about this, tells the marquee about the suspicious convoy, and you know they all call in the banners, get a bunch of marquee around. And I've got some bad news. Macius talks about what it'll be like when the war's over. So he is, oh no no he is, no he is rough flag yeah sorry Macius you're a lovely guy especially keeping being Rose dad but you are doomed and sure enough Cardassians attack oh no um at first I thought I was a little surprised because it looked like Macius no, pushed sorry me. oh oh no you were so close I really uh-huh. wanted you to, I really wanted you to reach the timer with him dying. Oh, that's all right. Okay. All right. Let's, let's, all right. And continue. That's right. So I wanted to cover the, the second the Cardassians attack the Marquis camp. It looks like Macius shoves Ro out of the way and runs away, which I thought would have been <laughs> hilarious. But no, he's just going round the back to have a bit of a shoot at them. Um, Screw the revolution. Run. Just like, yeah, yeah. You're just like my probably dead daughter. Oh, no, it's, it's great. Can... Fuck, run. No, he he pushes her over, shouts "Viva la resistance," and then books it for the exit. Perfect, yeah. Like, oh no, she sacrificed herself to save me. Um, but no, no. Sadly, he takes a shot. He dies. Oh no. Oh, this is gonna 
make things a lot worse for Ro and her whole conflicted nature over all this. And um, yeah, she and Picard meet at a bar and they're doing a kind of fake um, like sex worker transaction kind of thing. Like, oh, pretend you're handing me some money. We're haggling over things and have a great kind of intimate conversation in a corner of a bar. Um, and while they're acting that out, they're kind of basically talking about how Ro is really conflicted. She's trying to unsell Picard on a mission. She's wavering and he is up against this. He is like threatening court martial. He's saying, you know, there are going to be problems if we if we don't do this, if you don't tow the line. And yeah, he's even going to send Riker along which feels like, oh, the jig's going to be up sooner than we think. Because, you know, bless him, Riker, he's not a subtle man. So, yeah, it's a wonderfully tense conversation. And they part ways, neither really knowing what the other one's going to do with all this. So, yeah, everything goes into place. All these marquee ships, Riker's there with Rolaren on a little shuttle. So luckily they can talk freely about this whole betraying the Marquis thing. But oh no, what's this? She pulls a phaser on Riker, alerts the Marquis, beams off to safety so they can all book it and leaves Riker to fly fly back home with his tail between his legs. Um, Yeah, he reports in to a very sad and angry Picard who we get this ominous panning round of his face knowing that this person he was a role model to this person he was mentoring who had been through all these troubles has gone has defected and this is the penultimate star trek next generation for us to close on this ominous moment wow two minutes 48 seconds okay okay god almost as much you covering a two-parter yep Um, but yeah it had to be said because fucking hell this was no like yeah like, it's surprising that this is the penultimate episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. Because, okay, Ch- Charlie, this yeah. might be my 2023 talking. Mm-hmm. Do you think that, you know, if we had watched this in uh, 1990, when did this come out? 94? Yeah. That the Enterprise crew, with the exception of Roe, would come off looking like the bastards here. Oh my god, no. No, you wouldn't like, expect that at all. No, like, I don't, like, do you think it's written to be that Picard and the others are wrong and Roe is right? Or that Picard and the Enterprise crew are right and Roe Laren is in the wrong for defecting? God, it's such a difficult thing with that, because I can't see how it is ever going to be just for the crew of the Enterprise are right. You know? It is a complex situation. It's a difficult situation. And Ro is empathetic through all of this. We know she's, you know, had earlier kind of rebellious sort of phases and she's trying to do good. And for her, this is what good looks like. You know, we follow her journey. She is the protagonist through all of this. And like, compared to DS9, where we get Captain Sisko talking down to those, you know, those childlike colonists with their whole rebellion thing. Like, sure, we get a couple of 
marquee who aren't incredibly well drawn out, you know. We get we get uh, Macius's mates who are fine, you know. They don't really present anything bad or negative. They don't go, oh, we'd best kill some innocent people in order to further our cause. Because that way, no matter how right we are, we're dicks. Uh, no, they've, they've got principles. They are, you know, a proper bunch of resistance fighters. You could easily, easily flip this and go, and this is the pilot for a show about people resisting the, um, like the, the misguided attempts of the, of the Federation to do these things and the Cardassians being real cunts. You, you're right. You could, you could have like a show about a group of revolutionaries. Um, there could be Uh-oh. six, seven of them, and your main character could be called Blake. I've walked into this, haven't I? <laughs> Hashtag Blake's boys. Um. Oh, you know, um, yeah, like these, the Marquis in the Marquis, especially for the second part, just feel like some, some thugs in a cave set. Well, mm. these actually just feel like people who are just, who have lives and are just trying, are just trying to live. Yeah. Like they, they don't look, you know, they, they look like they could have been background act, act extras in a lower low. Oh God! Wow. Um, it's it's fascinating because an extra has to do like a, a a day player kind of single episode character has to do a lot, and they can just phone it in and seem completely two dimensional. But with people like Macius. There is interiority. There is a yeah. life he has lived before this episode, and he will be missed by people after his death. Like he has affected the story, and that's that's gone well. You know, that's... like I, I, I like how most of his conversations with Roe isn't about like the political the political upheaval of the militarized zone. It's just like God, I I love Bajoran. I love Bajoran equivalent of tacos. <laughs> Yes, yeah, that was that was great. He, he just wants to participate in an episode of Hot Wings. Yeah, he just wants some really hot Bajoran food. He wants to play his his musical instrument, and yeah, like that's I, he, that's he, it. He, he kind of just wants what every member of the French of the French Revolutionaries wanted, like a hot food, hot meal and a dance, and you know, not to die ultimately. Yeah, alas. That's that doesn't pan out for him. Now, like this aired just after the marquee, and you can feel like we talk about. Everyone talks about how Deep Space Nine is the dark one, the one with all this depth and all of that, and it feels so much more three dimensional. And I know this is a, a cast and a crew that have gone through seven seasons of this, so there's a level of comfort that they've all got in in their roles and in all of it, but this isn't all of the cast. This is, you know, Picard and a little bit of Riker and mostly Michelle Forbes, who is, I mean, she's always a joy to see. She is great. And as Ro Laren, she she is so much more than what you get in a recurring um, Star Trek character. Like, I love Barkley, but... Give me more of this, hmm. you know. And it was it was a joy to see her returning to the role, even though it sounded like she wasn't really she wasn't likely to come back. Um, the original plan, the original one, at least with 
uh, the Star Trek folks was to have her be the role that became Kira Norris on Deep Space Nine. And it ended up with, I think Jerry Taylor had to give her a phone call and ask her to come back for this story specifically. And I'm, I'm pleased she did. Yeah, I think it worked out for the best by getting Nana Visitor in as Kira, mm. who is one of my favorite characters in DS9. Um, I do have to give um, Star Trek and the writers a lot of kind of props for trying to, for seeding in what is eventually going to end up sort of being the seeds for Voyager into DS9 and to Next Generation to use one of your last episodes to essentially bump up a, a conflict that's going to play out in a spin-off show where your cast are basically background characters to a minor character we're writing an episode for just to kind of give a conclusion to. Mm. Like, that's some really good kind of uh, ball juggling for, for a, a wider shared universe. Definitely. It's fantastic. And it doesn't feel like some shared universe shows. Like, um, recently, Emma and I have been starting to watch Mandalorian Season 3, and Emma, like, with a lot of these sort of big universe shows, films, kind of things, like the Marvels and all that, there's only so much patience she's got for them. But that means that she missed Book of Boba Fett, which was... A tolerable show. It was fine. I still wish that it was about Boba trying to teach those kids how to do their kind of like um, hover bike robberies and all that. But, you know, it was fine. But it had a, a couple of episode diversion, which was basically extra Mandalorian episodes, which never really got covered in the show itself because the showrunner wanted to do other things. And that felt like that felt like a kind of mandatory thing. With mm. these episodes, you don't have to see DS9 to get this episode. You don't have no. to see this episode to get what DS9 will do, but it enriches both. And watching these close enough to being, you know, back to back, it was fascinating going, oh, Gullivex here. Oh, wow. Okay, Admiral Nechev. Oh, this yeah, is yeah. A, wider, a wider world, a wider situation. And while the Marquis tend to be a bit more of a background plot. You know, they have stories. They have a bunch they, they of have stories, stories but, but never... they kind of it kind of gets subsumed by the Dominion and the Klingons in the later seasons. Yeah. So I'm wondering if like the writers I wonder if the writers room realized that the Marquis essentially makes the Federation look bad and so kind of wrote them out to play up the Dominion, which is a nice big chunky foe that the Federation can be a moral opposition to. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe it was just too many things that were being juggled, and by the mm. time you start getting into this big plot, it's absorbed everything around it. You know, speaking of, like, self-contained, like, sci-fi shows, do you want a really good self-contained space opera about a group of renegades fighting against... um? A fascist controlling system. The Farscape, you know? You beat the punchline to my joke because I thought you were going to accuse me of doing Blake 7 so I can go, no, mate, Farscape. Ah! Damn it. Damn you, sir. Damn you. 
I was trying to think of any sci-fi show that wasn't Firefly. Or, uh, or, the, or the latter half of Babylon, like the latter half of Babylon 5, when Babylon 5 breaks away from EarthGov and they end up having to fight against their former military organization. Oh, God, all of that stuff with EarthGov and with all of that, do you know what it makes me want to do? Watch, ba- watch Blake 7? No, read the five years later era from the Legion of Superheroes, which I'm certain Jem Straczynski read and cribbed from. <laughs> For a lot of his V five elements, you know, but anyway, we're getting we're getting even further away from the plot than usual. This episode, preemptive strike, feels like it's going to be a, a high episode on our list. I'm I'm going to say in like the twenties. In the twenties, okay, okay, like early tw- like late teens, early twenties. Okay. Like what, this, what do you think is lower or higher? I I've been looking at the higher section here. Oh. Yeah. Like early teens or do you think it's gonna make it onto the big ten? I'm wondering I'm wondering if um if it might go possibly just under Conscience of the King, which has oh, again damn. some wonderful character moments. But and like the one below it is a mock time where as we've got on our spreadsheet Spock fights for Horny out of his system. And that's a good iconic episode, but fucking hell, the acting showcase, like the directorial showcase that we get from Pat I was about to say from Picard, from Patrick Stewart in this. Like it's it's up there, I feel, you know, it's a pretty damn good episode. And um, with Conscience of the King, again, you get that conflict. You know, you get that, the the horrible things that have been done and the echoes that go on to the next generation with it as well. And, you know, folks do some bad things. And if this was prestige TV and more ongoing TV, people would have to live with what they did in that episode. Mm. Well, you know, I... I don't think I watched it. I, I remember watching the last few seasons of TNG when it aired on BBC. Mm. And I've actually never seen this episode. And then, of course, Rod Laren turned up in Picard. And yeah. So I think that, that was admittedly one of the reasons why I kind of pushed for this episode to be uh, in the marquee two parts so I can actually watch it. And like this, it was great to see this episode, if only because the two actors kill it when Lo- Rod Laren came back in season three of Picard. Hundred percent, yeah. So I, so good. I, I, I might have to agree that this might be in the number ten. Yeah, like, like you, you pushed for it so passionately. I, it would be, it would be akin to to me saying that your Star Trek thing of the week is ghosts, while you were helping a friend move, and that would just be churlish of me. Oh dear, this is very much the episode where I'm a shit, but at least, no, at no, least you, I feel I've got my way here. I am going to agree with you here and put Preemptive Strike in at number 10. Hmm. I, this is the thing. You were saying about not having seen a huge amount of this, this bit of TNG, and I think partly because it was later on in the season when I was going through the bin bag of VHS tapes, 
I didn't see as much of this era. I I might have seen this episode, but um, I've not seen much. I know I've seen Genesis when I was a kid because yeah. it scared the crap out of me. I remember the episode where Wesley leaves, which I think also starts setting up the Marquis stuff. Oh God, yes, I've I've definitely seen that one too, and I definitely watched all good things. Yeah. So I was watching, but somehow I either forgot this episode or I missed this episode entirely. God, I I'm curious to see, given how glowing we've been about this, because it deserves it. You know, this is number ten for a reason here. But I'm I'm curious to see how the rest of season seven holds up because this is great. Genesis. I am amazed that this has been some very strong... Like, I know in when we talked about Genesis, we were kind of saying, yeah, this is their final season, they're gonna faff about a bit. Hmm. And no, this was this was a really strong... This... I... Like, my... I've always... Like, my big complaint about TNG has always been the characters feel more like action figures than actual people. Yeah. And I'm kind of going... I might be full of shit. I mean, that's that's kind of where I I hope some of this this experiment we've been doing here will come out of any preconceived notions that we come into this with, and go, oh no, oh there are some really interesting things, I, you know. I, I think like maybe like in ten episodes time, we might just need to do an episode where we sit down and kind of talk about how our opinions have been affected or altered by. Rewatching these shows. Hmm. Enterprise, at the moment, still kind of cack. Yeah. So I've started listening to, despite trying to keep Star Trek as casual as possible in my life, I have listened to some episodes of Shuttlepod, hosted by a couple of the cast of Enterprise. And oh. most, to be honest, most of it is television inside baseball which i love i adore any any comics or tv inside baseball kind of chat and that's been a real joy and hearing some of the passion about it i am really interested in finding some gold in there and i know you know a lot of people go oh, enterprise it's all awful hell i've started this this like podcast saying that you know um but I would much rather, like, when someone says, actually, I found, I, I quite liked Enterprise, I'd rather be of the opinion of going, okay, what, what, what shone? Like, show me your shining light from it. Show, express me why this is good. Not in a defensive, oh, really, prove it kind of way, but in a, I want to understand why this has a special place in your heart. And that might help me understand and have that and hold that close to me in a similar fashion. Like it's it's the same with T with like yeah with Enterprise, but you know, which I watched like a bit of a season of the early season. And I, I started watching season three because that's kind of when people start saying the show got good with its whole Zindi arc. Yeah. Um I kinda of, I kinda of petered out. But no, definitely with TNG, I'm like actually I'm enjoying the show and the characters a lot more than I thought I would. Mm. 
yeah, it's it's been a joy so far. And I got, and unfortunately, I, I really hope that with Dratrell, I really hope Voyager hasn't peaked for us going forward. Yes, I'm, I'm pretty sure there's at least one episode of Voyager I vaguely remember that I enjoyed more, but it's been so long that the VHS tapes were coming out were like brand new. And I was using my staff discount to get those terribly expensive VHS tapes with two episodes each on them of Voyager to to see it back Wait, in your, the day. Wait, your, your staff discount? Where, did you work at HMB or something? When I was working at the comic shop, when I was their IT guy in the, in the mid-90s, I realized the previews catalog that retailers could order from, I could order Star Trek Voyager VHS <laughs> oh. tapes. I'd read about it in SFX. I I was curious. Oh. I'd get I, them that way. I I remember. I I know. I remember the episode where it's a it's a holodeck episode, but they're doing the Flash Gordon, Captain Proton, uh, Bride mm. of Chaotica. Yes, that one. I'm I'm very curious to see. I uh, that one. I wa- I remember watching a couple of years ago, and that was a load of fun. I think it was also you know from the guy who will write Hannibal. Uh, lovely Brian Fuller. Wonderful Brian Fuller. I'm not one of those nerds who loves to hate things. Mm. So I I really want to see episodes of Enterprise where I can go, okay, yeah. There there is some there is some petrol in the tank. And Miles, you know what our fans could do if they have just such an episode in mind? Um engage in a vicious blood feud. I I was going to say they could go to our Kofi, which you can find oh. in the show notes. Sling us a few bits of gold press latinum, and then offer up an episode that we will make an entire podcast around. We will find other episodes that thematically fit with it, and for you, just you, and admittedly the rest of the Casual Trek audience, we will air an episode covering that plot, that story, that episode that you so so liked that you'd throw us some money for it. And that that would be lovely. But beyond that, I, I guess it's time for us to wrap up. And um, next time, we were torn between doing the marquee and something else for this. So I guess we're doing the other thing. We're going to join the hive mind of the Borg. Ooh. Oh, but we're already a part of a hive mind because we are both on the left and therefore... All our opinions are exactly the same, which is why getting the left to be in lockstep on anything is like herding cats. <laughs> Sorry, I turned a bit right in Twitter there for oh, a moment. Oh, what? Yeah. I, 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 tur- I turned into an NPC. Oh, no. Oh, it's, it's terrible when that happens. Um, right. Well, we're going to switch miles off and back on again, but... <laughs> Blake 7 is the best TV show ever Blake 7 is the best TV show ever What did I miss? My disappointment, Miles Hashtag Blake's boys Anyway, outside <laughs> Outside <laughs> Rapidly trying to close this out here Outside of the show You can find me at uh, Faked Tales Where I've been blogging a little bit About uh, my journey Reading an X-Men comic a day and where I'll be putting some indie RPG reviews. You can find my RPG and comic content on skyshark.itch.io. And I'm on Twitter. 
<laughs> Charlie underscore EN, and I post about X Men almost every day. <sighs> you can find me on Twitter at, at @manmiles, and God, it's just depressing now. Just talking about Twitter. Uh, like, I, I, oh my God. Um, I, I'm sure if you, I want to see the supercut of us just mentioning our Twitter accounts on each episode, and just how how just bleak our outsets get as we keep mentioning bloody Twitter. Oh, um, you can... It starts off relatively positive in, in a self-promotion <laughs> way. I think we, we dipped down a bit, and then when everyone was making fun of Elon Musk, the world's most pathetic man, um, then it livened up a bit, and then it's just gone down and down from there. I'm, I'm pretty sure of that. Um, yep, I am at man miles. I do not have a blue check mark. Elon's not got that desperate yet. Um, <laughs> and you can find my reviews and occasionally some fiction on my on my blog at mareadlobato.wordpress.com. And yeah, that's where you can find us. Yeah, so it's been fun. And um, yeah, I guess given the subject matter of the episode, we should probably go to a marquee. Stand up for your rights, stand up for your representation, because if you don't stand up for yourself, who's gonna? Go to a marquee. Yeah, and live long and eat. I don't know what they would eat instead of jelly babies. Oh no. Oh no. Um, go eat a skittle, I guess. Li- live, live long and hashtag Blake's Boys. Oh. You've been listening to Casual Trek by Charlie Etheridge Nunn and Miles Reed Lobato. Music by Alfred Etheridge Nunn. Casual Trek's part of the Nerd and Tie Network. And if you want to support us monetarily, because you love what we do that much, you can now do that by going to Coffee and looking up Casual Trek. There's a link in the show notes.